Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the politics of the Wizarding World because we are releasing this on a very important day in American history. (laughs) But we will not be talking about U.S. politics, just the Wizarding World's politics and how it relates to the real world from a historical perspective. And we actually ran a campaign over the past week on our social media channels. We decided to hold an election for the next Minister of Magic in the Wizarding World, so we will reveal those results as well. But first, some housekeeping. We hosted a Quizich Live Halloween edition on Saturday, on Halloween, actually. And if you missed it, that's okay. You can actually watch it later on YouTube. So check our show notes and our social media channels for links to it. It was a lot of fun. It was Halloween-themed. It was spooky-themed. Yeah, it was really fun. We all dressed Laura, up. <laughs> yeah, you, those filters, Laura, I'm still... Uh... Trying to track a few Five of those stars. down. Five stars, 100%. Yeah, those were those were great. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I think it was a great way. I, Laura, you mentioned this after we were done. Just to get people together who may not have had something to do on Halloween because of everything that's going on. And, and it was just cool to get together with, with listeners of the show and, and do some trivia. There were some For hard sure. questions in there too. I don't know who came up with those, but yeah, they were really, uh, you did. <laughs> I think we all share a little blame in that. Uh. We do. We do. <laughs> Congratulations to I am Rudy, Sarah James, Auntie Moody, Morg 97 and Meg Gull. They are the top five winners of Quizage Live Halloween edition. I just have to say, shout out for the screen name Auntie Moody. I just really like that for some reason. <laughs> I like envisioning an alternate universe where Mad Eye Moody is somebody's auntie. <laughs> and I like Meggle for Halloween. Could you see Moody in uh, like an apron baking chocolate chip cookies for his yes. niece and nephew? Mm. Okay. Uh, he'd be a great cook because he could uh, look behind him to check the timer on the <laughs> Alexa or on the stove. We also wanted to mention that Mina Lima have actually confirmed that they are working on the Chamber of Secrets Illustrated Edition as well. We reviewed the Sorcerer's Stone Illustrated Edition last week, so I thought we should mention that. So it looks like they are going to do a... They're going to illustrate the entire series. That's kind of crazy. We're going to have two Illustrated Edition series coming out simultaneously. And it's going to be out next year, so it sounds like they've already made substantial progress on it. But I think like with Jim Kay... Uh, once they get to those bigger books, they might have to release a new illustrated edition every other year because illustrating Order of the Phoenix and later, and actually Goblet of Fire and later is going to take a lot of time. Definitely. And Laura, um, Laura, Mike and I are kind of old. You're the young of the I'm group. I'm older than you. And I know you use, uh, <laughs> just go with my bit. Um, you're on TikTok. Yeah. Micah, are you on TikTok? No, I'm not on TikTok. That's exactly uh, what y'all I Y'all are missing suspected. out. It's so much fun. <laughs> One of my coworkers described it to me as a necessity because it's all feel-good content. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, like any platform, you're always going to have somebody who is like out, like they're outside of the norm. But for the most part, it really is feel-good content. It's funny content. Um, these Gen Zers, they have a biting sense of humor. So I highly recommend it <laughs> if you need to feel better. But um, Tom Felton, who is a national treasure, he is on TikTok and he's um, dubbed it Draco Talk because he is trying to challenge TikTokers 
to come up with their best Draco Malfoy impressions of saying Harry's last name. And I feel like we should just (laughs) hear it right from the horse's mouth. Yes, 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 ladies and gentlemen, muggles, uh, witches and wizards. Uh, Here you are, welcome to Draco Talk. We are going to take you on right now and find out once and for all who is the best in the world at saying the word. Potter. Exactly. But also a bit like... No, 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 no. Malfoy. No, wait. My dear boy, please, concentrate. Potter. Drake. No. No, listen to me. Do it as I do it. Just say exactly as I do it. Potter. Potter. Hmm. It wasn't bad. It should be more of a... Potter. That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. Who can beat that? Who can actually say Potter better than that? So this has been a challenge on TikTok. Who can say it best? Yeah. And he's been so great because people have been putting up their own impressions and then he's um, doing duets with them and rating them one through 10. Um, But also like above 10, he has a card that says, I love you. (laughs) So if it's really good, he shows that. That's clever. Um, So this is really fun. But I thought that we could take this as our opportunity to try and do our best Potter. Yeah. There was the one clip from Chamber of Secrets, I think, that he really loved in that little video. (laughs) So it sounded like Potter. (laughs) That was really good. That was really good. I blew out my mic. Did you just replay the audio or was that actually you? No, that was really good, Andrew. (laughs) Oh, thanks. Micah, let's hear yours. Potter. Ooh, that was good. That was ominous. That was like a Lucius Malfoy. Right, right. Maybe we can get uh, Jason Isaacs. To uh, to do one and oh, I'll submit totally for that. Oh, he totally has to do it. Actually, if he hasn't done it yet, he's crazy. He has done it. Um, there was oh, a good. whole video that uh, Tom Felton duetted with him, where he was like walking around doing random things around his house and then looking at the camera and going Potter. <laughs> <laughs> it was so silly. That's great. <laughs> Potter. 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 <laughs> it's like the new. Uh, What's up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Andrew, you need to submit. Okay. Log into I, Laura's you know, I TikTok. Do have a TikTok. Oh, you do have one at least. Okay. I then. don't use it. But uh-huh. I think we're starting to uncover something here, Laura. First, he said he didn't have one. <laughs> now he does. Anyway, that's uh, really fun. And shout out to Leary, a newer listener who actually wrote in about this as well. And finally, before we get to Muggle Mail, a quick PSA. I just wanted to give a special shout out to anyone listening to this episode while waiting in line to vote, because we are releasing this on Tuesday, Election Day in the United States. If you're listening while you're in line, please remember that no matter how long the line is, you must be allowed to vote as long as you are in line before your polling place closes. So you are set. So stay there, Potter. Go to IWillVote.com to find your Election Day polling place and stay in line. And thank you for doing your part. And exercising your right to vote. Shout out to Laura for writing most of that. You're (laughs) welcome. Very well written. Very well written. And feel free, only in line, by the way, to to take a photo and send it to us using hashtag Potter polling. I actually would love that. I was thinking of suggesting that as well. Well, actually, can you say it the right way, Andrew? Potter polling. Potter polling. (laughs) You can do it too. You're good as well. No, you said I sound too much like Lucius, who listens to their dad. This episode is going to be littered with potters. I have a feeling. Uh, yes, if you are listening to the podcast while waiting in line to vote, we would love to see that. Take a selfie, tweet us, 
hit us up on Instagram, tag us there. We'll share it if you don't mind. Okay, it's time for Muggle Mail. Yeah, the first piece of Muggle Mail comes from Colin, who says, Hey MuggleCast, I have a question I've been itching to ask you for a while, and with Halloween coming up, this was before Halloween, obviously, I thought it was a good time. Halloween is a big deal in the books, and I've wondered for a while why books 5 to 7 don't explicitly state when it is. This actually came up during Quizage yesterday. Yeah. I'm quite convinced Deathly Hallows Halloween was the Goblin's Revenge, and Half-Blood Prince Halloween was Silver and Opal's. Ron leaving the trio in book seven mirrors Hermione joining on Halloween in book one, and the attack on Katie being the first of many attacks on students mirrors the opening of the Chamber of Secrets in book two. I'm less sure about book five, though, since Sirius shows up a couple times in mid-fall of that book, and Lupin agreeing to teach Harry to fight Dementors on Halloween in book three could also mirror the Hogshead Dumbledore's army meeting. Sorry for the long email, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Pickles. And thank you so much. Oh, oh man. Now we're going to have pickles. Potter pickles. <laughs> pickles. <laughs> um, I love this. So I can definitely like plus one your Half-Blood Prince idea about silver and opals. The reason I say that is because when we did trivia, we were doing Halloween-based events for one round of trivia. And as I was putting that together, I was like, crap, books five through seven don't have any mention of Halloween. (laughs) Um, So I was having to scour through the books to find mentions of October to find things that were like tangentially Halloween related. And the Silver and Opals chapter definitely took place during the month of October. Um, Not Mm. sure about the Goblin's Revenge, but it sounds like you've done your research. So can definitely take your word for that. I think this is a really interesting sort of like ring theory observation, sort of comparing what happens in book six to book two and then book seven to book one. I love it. I hate to throw water on this, but if you check out the Harry Potter lexicon, hp-lexicon.org, they actually do a really good job of figuring out on what dates every event in the Harry Potter series took place. And they peg uh, Silver and Opals in mid-October. As for why J.K. Rowling decided to not include Halloween in the later books. Maybe she was just like, do I need to have Halloween in every single book? Maybe she got a little tired of of writing Halloween or just didn't see it being necessary. Then again, you know, Christmas is probably featured in most of the books, mm-hmm. if not all of them. So look, she started I the trend. I-, I mean, she killed his parents on Halloween. So uh-huh. And yeah. everything that follows subsequently in at least the first four books, I mean, they're pretty important events. So I I'd agree with Laura. I like the the research here that Colin did. And and even if Silver and Opals is mid-October, it's close enough as far yeah. as I'm concerned. So I'm, I'm a Halloween aficionado. Anything that happens between October 1st and October 31st is spooky season, so it counts. That's, that's a good point. Yep. <laughs> is everybody dececorating for Christmas after we record <laughs> MuggleCast today? No. I, you know, you know, when I turned on early. Animal Crossing this morning, I was half expecting to see all the Christmas. Uh, oh, I wish. Do-it-yourself <laughs> projects and things you could buy from Timmy and Tommy. So <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm happy that at least pumpkins are staying around for, for the next week or two. All right. Uh, next piece of mail comes from Pam. Pam says, hey, sorry, I'm a bit late on this. Time has escaped me the last couple of weeks. 
I was listening to your plot holes episode, and I wanted to point out a couple of my own, though I suppose these may just be considered inconsistencies. In book one, the trio stumbles through Fluffy's door on the third floor with a simple Alohomora charm. If protecting the stone was so important, why was the door locked in such a way that first years could easily get through it? I guess a three-headed dog is enough of a deterrent, but still. In book five, Mrs. Weasley says in discussions among the Order that her and Mr. Weasley weren't a part of it the first time because they were, quote, too young. Yet the Potters were in it. Presumably, they had Harry when they were in their very early 20s, if not before. Yet Mr. and Mrs. Weasley have several children several years older than Harry, most prominently Bill and Charlie, who have graduated Hogwarts by the time Harry enters it. This would indicate that the Weasleys are older than the Potters. That's it. Thanks for casting. Yeah, Aloha Mora in general is one of the biggest plot holes in the Harry Potter series. <laughs> and I just, I always think about the early Harry Potter video games where you could use Aloha Mora to unlock everything. And it's like, why is there a lock on this if anybody can unlock it? It's pointless. Aren't there sometimes when Aloha Mora won't work though? When somebody's smart, but clearly whoever set up the lock for the door below Fluffy uh, was not very smart. Yeah, it's almost as though. Like, it either means that they thought the students would listen and not go there, or they thought Aloha Mora was such a complex charm that most students wouldn't be able to do it. And then Hermione, a first-year student, is able to do it very easily. Or that Fluffy would be enough of a deterrent. But they didn't Mm -hmm. tell anybody Fluffy was there. Mm, (laughs) All they said was, you know, unless you want to die a painful death or something like that. And I mean... That's like par for the course at Hogwarts. I feel like they hear that crap every year. <laughs> Again, I don't know how many times I have to say it, but Hogwarts is a security, like a security nightmare. Nightmare. Mm-hmm. Security nightmare. This sounds like something, though, that would appeal directly to Fred and George, right? Yeah. You're going to die like a this. terrible death. Wicked. Ooh, sounds great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think... Alohomora, though, in and of itself is a plot hole. I'm trying to think how I would describe it. It's just an easy out. When I think of plot holes, I would actually agree with the second part of Pam's email that the Weasleys saying that they weren't a part of the order the first time around because they were too young doesn't really jive. Maybe they just didn't want to be a part of it. And also... Weren't Molly's brothers in the order? I thought, I mean, they were murdered by Death Eaters, right? Yeah. I think that's right, that they were in the order. And also... Yeah, they were. We could dive down this rabbit hole all day, but I think everybody's perspective on what too young is, I think that varies on a personal basis. So it could be that they felt they were too young. Okay, let's move on to the next message. Hey, Michael Cass. This is Alex from Toronto, Canada. I recently listened to your episode on 487, The Scariest Moments in Harry Potter. And I thought I'd just mention one of the scariest moments for me was from book seven in the Ministry of Magic when Harry was in Umbridge's office and he found the telescope with Mad-Eye Moody's eye. I thought that was pretty sick myself that Umbridge would desecrate a dead body for using a magical device and make it something that she uses to spy on ministry workers. I just thought I'd let you know that. Thanks. Bye. 
That's a great one. Yeah, yeah that's a that's a body part. Ew. <laughs> okay, and on a related note, we got this email from Eve. My name is Eve, and I just wanted to bring up the fact that on your latest episode, you didn't discuss as one of the scariest moments in the Chamber of Secrets. At the end of Chapter 8, Harry heard the voices in his head, which I believe he has heard a couple of times before. He realized nobody else can hear them. And in my opinion, this is terrifying because it would make him feel like he was going crazy because he was hearing these random voices and also incredibly isolated from his friends because they don't really know what's going on. And they're actually quite concerned for him. On top of this, the voices are talking about him killing and then saying, I smell blood, which whether you know what's happening or not, it's completely terrifying. He thinks that this voice is trying to kill someone. And given the fact that Harry has a tiny bit of a hero complex and knowing he is powerless to stop this thing would almost be painful for him as well as horrifying. To top it all off, he then sees the writing on the wall in blood that this voice has just been talking about. I know you talked about Mrs. Norris being petrified, but when I first read these books, I didn't exactly think that that was too much of a big deal, seeing as nobody even liked Mrs. Norris anyways. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Poor kitty. I was... <laughs> I liked you, Mrs. Norris. Eve goes on, I was more terrified of the fact that someone had written on the wall of Hogwarts in blood, talking about this chamber of secrets that none of them knew about. Yeah, that's that's a good point, Eve. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's a good one that she calls out, though, the fact that Harry is hearing voices inside of his head and he's only 12 years old yeah. at the time. That would probably freak most people out regardless of any age. Yeah, I mean, you would be put in a psych ward, I think, if you reported that stuff mm -hmm. in the muggle world. And it's got to be creepy to him, too, that he's able to talk to snakes and he doesn't even realize it, right? During that, uh, yeah. what was it? The dueling club with Malfoy. Yeah, well, even like um, we see in Sorcerer's Stone, he talks to the snake at the zoo and he just doesn't even realize it. Yeah. It just comes to him so naturally. And then yeah. he gets put in the situation where he's called out for it in front of all of his fellow students. And everyone's like, hmm, that's suspicious. Good times at Hogwarts. <laughs> Good times. So on today's episode, we're discussing politics in the Wizarding World and all the controversy there. But before that, I want to tell you about HelloFresh, who there should be no controversy over. HelloFresh offers convenient no-contact delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. The recipes are easy to follow with simple steps and pictures to guide you along the way. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes. HelloFresh delivers fresh, high-quality, pre-portioned ingredients so you can make meals that are delicious and nutritious. Over 90% of ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure peak flavor and ripeness. This is so awesome. I love to, I love to see that they're supporting farmers in this way. And HelloFresh offers more than 20 chef-crafted delicious options every week to help you break out of your recipe rut, try new things, and make any night feel special. These aspects are why I'm so obsessed with HelloFresh. Plus, there's very little commitment. Easily change your delivery days or meal plan preferences and skip a week whenever you need right on their app. If you're ready to shake up your routine, spend time working with your hands instead of a screen, and rest easy knowing that what you eat is going to be delicious, that's my favorite part, go to HelloFresh.com slash Muggle90. This is one of our best deals yet. And use code Muggle90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. 
Go to HelloFresh.com slash Muggle90 and use code Muggle90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. Be sure to use that URL and code to let them know that we sent you and, of course, to get that awesome discount. That is awesome. I'm doing that right after right? we're done recording. Right. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Chef Micah. Oh, yeah. Well, we are going to launch into a conversation about the politics of the wizarding world. And through this conversation, we're going to look at it through a few different lenses. And we will wrap up the discussion by revealing the results of You Choose 2020, the campaign for the next Minister of Magic. Um, for anyone who wasn't following this on social, the candidates were Hermione Granger, Kingsley Shacklebolt, um, Aberforth Dumbledore, and Dolores Umbridge. Why'd so, you laugh when you said Aberforth? <laughs> well, his, <laughs> What's so funny? His campaign tagline is make England goats again. <laughs> and? Well, we know who you voted That's for, weird. <laughs> just maybe. Well, we can kind of kick this off by looking at it through just the lens of the ministry structure and how it closely resembles the government of the United Kingdom. Not surprising, given where the author is from. But we were going to look at which historic figures we think may have inspired certain characters in the books. And Micah, you had a really great point here about Cornelius Fudge that I think we can use to kick us off. Yeah. So, of course, Fudge is the the minister that we spend the most time with in the Harry Potter series. And J.K. Rowling has actually commented on who Cornelius Fudge was modeled after. And he was modeled after Neville Chamberlain. J.K. Rowling said that my model of the world after Voldemort's return was directly the government of Neville Chamberlain in Great Britain during the Second World War, when he tried to minimize the menace of the Nazi regime for political convenience. And the way that he went about this was through a policy of appeasement. And then eventually, similar to Fudge, he resigned as prime minister a couple of months um, into that war. The comparisons are very clear, I think, in terms of Fudge and Chamberlain. And it just goes to show you that you shouldn't ignore things like Voldemort's return. Maybe you should pay a little bit more attention to Albus. He has some good things to say. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, and I think mm -hmm. it really goes to show that these things happen. Like, I know sometimes when we're reading the books, particularly when we've done chapter by chapter and examined Fudge's behavior towards Harry, like in the first half of the series versus the second half of the series. And it just seems like so bizarre that he's so afraid of Voldemort actually being back that he would rather just bury his head in the sand. And like from a storytelling perspective, it's easy for us to sit back and be like, wow, what a freaking idiot. But historically, it's happened. I mean, there have been mm -hmm. real figures who've done things like this. I mean, we're in the middle mm -hmm. of a global pandemic right now, and we don't have to name names, but there are certain leaders who are trying to minimize the effect of the global pandemic for their own political convenience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And out of avoiding panic, which I think you could argue Fudge didn't want to do either. He didn't want to cause panic by saying Voldemort was back. Yeah. Well, and he was also so attached to his power. Like we see throughout the books, we know he's afraid of Dumbledore because he knows that there were many in 
wizarding society who would have far preferred Dumbledore as Minister of Magic over him. So he already feels mm-hmm. kind of like usurped in a way yeah. in terms of like a little jelly. Yeah, his ability to lead. Um, and Voldemort, you know, not only represents a threat to the wizarding world, but he represents a threat to Fudge's ability to maintain power. And we'll talk about this more later, but um, on a broader scale, we're also seeing government attempts to minimize the media, just like, uh, you know, I guess kind of the opposite is happening in the wizarding world, because the ministry and the Daily Prophet are working closely together to spread a certain message. But here in the muggle world, we typically see, well, maybe typically is not the right word, but Mm -hmm. we sometimes see world leaders try to downplay uh, the reliability of the media in order to get their message across. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I think that's where this this policy of appeasement comes in, because this this was really Britain's approach to allowing Hitler to expand German territory without much recourse and without much action being taken. The difference for Fudge is that his policy of appeasement, if you want to call it that, was just not acknowledging the fact that Voldemort was back. So by his own pure ignorance, he was allowing Voldemort to gain his followers again, to rebuild this contingent that would inevitably, you know, fight against Harry and company. And uh, yeah, you can definitely see the comparisons that exist here. For sure. Then you have, of course, the Order of the Phoenix, which is a direct rejection of these types Mm -hmm. of appeasement policies, right? And if we really did some digging, I'm sure we could find examples of individuals from this time period who were, you know, very similarly forming underground organizations to fight back. Yeah, absolutely. And then much like Chamberlain, Fudge resigns not long into you know the what what we could say is the beginning of the second war we know like the actual battle itself doesn't take place until the end of deathly hallows but really it's that end of order of the phoenix beginning of half blood prince where fudge you know he only has a very limited time in office once this recognition this acknowledgement of voldemort's return and then scrimgeour takes his place mm-hmm. yeah and he doesn't last very long <laughs> No, unfortunately. Um, Something else that I thought was interesting, just like noodling around on the internet, um, there is some pretty detailed thought out there. And I think that it's probably right on the money that the Black sisters, um, Narcissa, Bellatrix, and Andromeda, were actually modeled or modeled after a real world trio of sisters during the Second World War. Um, so they're the Mitford sisters, and you they were named Unity, Diana, and Jessica. And Unity was uh, very much pro-Nazi and said to be in love with Hitler. She actually exchanged quite a bit of correspondence with Hitler, and I was like reading up on her a little bit, and apparently Hitler was like using her to play off of who the woman that he would later go on to marry. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So this is very clearly, I feel like, a Bellatrix parallel, mm-hmm. just because we later learn what role Bellatrix served behind the scenes for Voldemort. 
Um, Diana Mitford actually married the head of the British fascist party, which makes me think it's like big Narcissa vibes just because of her relationship with Lucius Malfoy. I mean, we know that she probably had some of these ideals before she married Lucius, but we don't know much about her life before that. But obviously coming from the Black family, um, they're very much into like pure blood ideology. Mm -hmm. And then Jessica Mitford was like the odd duck of this sister trio. She was a communist and a civil rights advocate who brought a lot of shame to her family which reminded me a lot of Andromeda, who ended up marrying Ted Tonks. Wow, that's that's a great parallel. Isn't that so interesting? And I mean, I yeah. know, I believe just from doing a little bit of reading that um, JKR has mentioned Jessica Mitford in the past as like an hmm. inspiration oh, okay. here. So I feel like it's a pretty easy connection to make. Yeah, this is great. I, I'd never heard of this before. So this is really interesting comparisons and definitely spot on i'm also doing some googling right now and unity and hitler actually did have a baby who could fly as well (laughs) the parallels just don't stop they named her delphi (laughs) (laughs) well obviously you know that kind of takes us into the discussion point about global events that have inspired harry potter events and one that we've touched on a lot is world war ii Um, this, this just comes up as a theme again and again, you know, and not just because you can draw very easy parallels, but because the author herself has said, you know, World War II and the Nazi regime definitely served as, you know, a backdrop of inspiration for some of the things that we see in the books. Um, we see that, you know, Death Eaters are very clearly inspired by Nazis, the whole conversation around blood status is eerily similar to the quote-unquote science that the nazis use to determine aryan purity yeah and in fantastic beasts i don't know if it's movie one or two i guess it's movie number two grindelwald literally shares a vision with everybody of world war ii yeah his whole thing he it that was so interesting and actually i i was very critical of fantastic beasts too but that was the one part of the movie that i thought was very interesting was that he was taking this approach of like, look at what these muggles are going to do. Look at the war they're going to bring down on this world. Join me and we can stop them. And I actually kind of got chills from that performance because there were some major Hitler vibes in that speech. I don't know if y'all have ever watched, you know, any Hitler speeches, but the man, um, (laughs) he was... All the time. You just sit there. Imagining Laura logging onto YouTube and all her recommendations are Hitler's speeches. She's like, "Oh, I haven't watched this one yet." No, it's just it's important to have historical context and yeah, yeah, understand that. You know, again, it's one of those examples where us as the viewer, like, we're sitting there watching, you know, Queenie and all of these characters join Grindelwald. And Mm -hmm. we're like, no, why would you do that? And it's so easy for us to sit there and say that. But the reality is that that happened. And Hitler was able to, like, provide a platform for people who felt, and we can definitely, it's a whole separate discussion, but people who felt like they were being disenfranchised, Mm 
mm-hmm. you know, in order to make them feel like they had a place. Right. Yeah. And so it's the same kind of rhetoric that Grindelwald is using in Fantastic Beasts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's working. <laughs> yeah. And I think just to extend that comparison further, uh, we know that Grindelwald's home base is is Nurmengard, and it's yep. not all that dissimilar in terms of how it sounds from Nuremberg. And we know of the trials that took place there of the Nazis post-World War II. But I'm just thinking of also you know, Nurmengard potentially being this right now the way that we're seeing it in the films i don't know that it's yet become a prison but we know that's ultimately where grindelwald ends up being held after all these events unfold so there's definitely some comparisons there as well for sure and you just reminded me you know speaking of like Nazis and sort of what happened to them after World War II, you know, it would be very nice to believe that they were all locked up and put away, but they weren't. Uh, Many of them fled to South America and took up residence there. Um, You had um, like Dr. Mengele who went down there and was like running all these experiments on children Um, So the idea, like we see former Death Eaters walking around in the wizarding world completely free and cleared of all their charges. And it can, again, as a reader, be so hard to conceive, like, why would Voldemort's old followers be like cleared of charges and be allowed to just be out in society? It's happened again in real life. Definitely. And yeah, we're going to talk in a little bit about one of them in, in Lucius Malfoy. And I think that a lot of that at times has to deal with who you are, what your status within the society is. We know that the Malfoy family is very powerful, very rich. And that certainly plays a role in terms of him being able to kind of keep his nose clean and, and, and steer clear of being imprisoned in, in Azkaban. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to take it because we wanted to talk about the government corruption that we see manifested throughout the Potter novels. And one of the most frequent examples we see of this is interference with Hogwarts and its school curriculum, right? And Lucius Malfoy is absolutely one of the main perpetrators here. Yeah, he he has this persona, though, of, of just being, you know, he's there for the kids, right? He's, he has their best interest at heart. But really, it's it's all about his ability to influence the situation. And we see what happens at Chamber of Secrets. We know that he is directly behind what is going on, right? He slips the diary into Ginny's cauldron in Diagon Alley. So he bears the full responsibility and and he's trying to cover his tracks. But we don't know it as readers. At least I don't think I picked up on it this early on. But they go in to Hogwarts, and because the chamber has supposedly been reopened, they arrest Hagrid with absolutely no proof. They send somebody to jail because, really, I think, of who he is, not what he's done. There is no proof that he has opened up this chamber, but this is a Mm -hmm. perfect example of both Lucius and the ministry stepping in to the educational system in the wizarding world and taking action. 
Yeah. And I think that there are so many real world parallels we can draw here. Just, I mean, even just looking back on our own country's history, there are a number of examples of times where people were, um, you know, considered guilty of crimes that they hadn't committed simply because of the color of their skin or their religious background or their, you know, their socioeconomic status in society. You know, again, these are examples of things that happen. And it can be really easy when you're reading a book about wizards to be like, well, they're (laughs) wizards. Why does this happen here? But I think it's it's an important parallel um, to the real world and kind of like something we talked about on a previous episode. um, I had mentioned some some literary theory about how fantasy really gives children like um, a canvas on which to examine their real-world conflicts in a safe space, right? Yeah. And I think that's what Harry Potter does for us. We do that here every yeah. week. <laughs> We're children. <laughs> well, we are. Potter. Everybody. Everybody does it, no matter your age. Within the same kind of action of, of Hagrid being taken away, you also have Dumbledore, who's the headmaster, who is probably the best person suited to handle this situation being suspended. And this Even is- Even though the school he runs is a security nightmare. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go let's on. Put, that, put that aside for a second. But Lucius is really acting through his influence, right? Dumbledore is able to be suspended because Lucius has threatened members of the board. And their families. We learn this later on in Chamber of Secrets. And intimidation through the powerful and through the wealthy is definitely something that we've seen throughout history, not just during World War II. And this is a clear example of it. Lucius is actually taking away also the biggest threat to what he is trying to achieve. And that is for the chamber to be opened and for the school to be purged. So he's using his power and influence to get rid of Dumbledore, who is the biggest threat to him and what he's trying to achieve. And we even see later, I think it's in Order of the Phoenix, we see Lucius literally has like a pocket full of gold that he's about to hand over to Fudge as a bribe. Great point. And I think as a reader, this scene is is painful too, because Dumbledore is a father figure to Harry and you're seeing your father lose to your enemy's father. It really Mm -hmm. sucks. And it's also, it really speaks, I think, Micah, you picked up on something really important. It's like the insidious sort of underbelly that exists in society. How, you know, people like Lucius Malfoy, he understood at that point that it was not socially acceptable for him to be an out-and-out Death Eater. So instead of doing that, he operated within the confines of a system that allowed him to exercise his agenda sort of as an undercurrent rather than just be like put on that death eater hood and go out proclaiming, mm-hmm. you know, blood purity because that wouldn't have flown. But we see later on in the books when it becomes more socially acceptable, then people like him come out of the woodwork. Right. Yeah, he's essentially behaving as a Death Eater without the mask on. He's doing mm-hmm. it through his position at the ministry, through his influence over Fudge, which clearly plays a role as early as, as Chamber of Secrets. 
And it's just, it makes Hogwarts, for as much of a security nightmare as it is, less safe without having Dumbledore there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and it's, it reminds me, we've had plenty of examples of this in our own country of like, you know, the Grand Dragon of the KKK endorsing political candidates. Yeah. You know, and it's very easy for people to be like, oh, well, I'm not in the KKK. (laughs) But you were endorsed by the KKK. Mm -hmm. What does that say about you? Yeah. You probably just want to throw that endorsement in the trash bin, light it on fire and (laughs) move on. (laughs) And like really think about your life and get right. Because if you're doing something that the KKK thinks is good, you need to rethink your priorities. Then there's also just you know, complications when it comes to the school's curriculum, right? We see this throughout the series, but I think Lucius also has something to do with this in Prisoner of Azkaban, right? Yes. So Lucius doesn't stop at opening the Chamber of Secrets. He he likes to uh, meddle into, as you said, everyday classes at Hogwarts. And what I'm talking about, of course, is what happens to Buckbeak. And this whole idea of executing Buckbeak, it seems ridiculous punishment for something that occurred in a class that is called Care of Magical Creatures, right? Right. Yeah. Draco goes beyond what he's supposed to. And I liken it to the people who ignore the no touching the animals or keeping out signs of the <laughs> right. cages at the zoo. They, they, they're they like Don't hanging over. Don't jump in the lion's den. Exactly. They fall in and then people have to risk their own lives to to save them and i honestly believe in this case it should be the responsibility of hogwarts not the ministry to handle what's going on here you think of all of the creatures that have found their way in hogwarts over the years of that harry is at school buckbeak is probably the the most docile the kindest or at least in the top five so again i just think you know, look at all the classes that exist at Hogwarts. Every time a, a cauldron blows up in, in Seamus's face, <laughs> is he writing to get Snape removed uh, from being an effective teacher? Melt the cauldrons. I think that's more of a movieism, but you, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. It, it yeah. just, it's, it's an unsafe place to begin with. There are risky things that can happen. You scratch your knee, you get bit by a bird. It happens. <laughs> Well, this is also a good comment on animal rights, both in the wizarding world and and muggle worlds. Like, why is the answer when somebody, when a human makes a mistake, why is the answer to execute the animal? It reminds me of the stories we hear every few years about some idiot climbing into a zoo enclosure and getting attacked by an animal and then they kill the animal. Yeah, it wasn't the animal's fault. You right. you jumped into the shark tank. Yeah. Right. That's just control of the gene pool, to be perfectly honest with you. Right. <laughs> one, one other thing just to point out about this, too, is is I know I kind of joked about would Seamus have written in about Snape to have some something happen to him. But I also think that there's a reason why this happens in Hagrid's class, because Hagrid is already seen as being unqualified and we... Uh, question his ability to to teach right so it's almost like because of who he is it already puts him a step or two down in the situation in trying to handle buckbeak like he has to go and argue to save buckbeak's life and we know that that doesn't 
end up going the way that that he hopes it will. But I just think, again, he's targeted here. He's targeted. Malfoy specifically targets him. His dad does it in in Chamber of Secrets, and then his kid does it in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. No, he's definitely at a disadvantage. Also, you know, for the reason that he wasn't allowed to finish his education. What Hagrid has, like, what, a second or third year education at Hogwarts before he was expelled. So he wasn't allowed to be fully educated based on a crime that he did not commit. And then later on, he's put in this position in the series where he has to go defend himself against a board of government officials when he himself wasn't allowed to complete his education. It's like they they moved the goalposts so frequently on him because they wanted him to fail. Right. And he's definitely being discriminated against. There's there's no question. Absolutely. And I I do believe that this is something that simply should have been handled by Dumbledore. Let let yeah, him mm-hmm. pass a judgment. He of course he's not going to execute the hippogriff mm-hmm. for for nipping Malfoy's arm. Maybe he sets him free. That's the solution. Let the hippogriff go. I mean, that's what he ends up doing, or at least assisting well, with. Yeah, but <laughs> we, we had to introduce time turners, and then that led to Cursed Child. So was it really a win at the end of the day? <laughs> wow, that was quite that? a jump you just made. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of keeping up on the theme of interference with school curriculums, of course, we have Umbridge in Order of the Phoenix and her selection of a Defense Against the Dark Arts curriculum that takes all of the practical application of Defense Against the Dark Arts out of the equation. And this is, again, another example of something that seems so ridiculous when you're reading it. Like, how could this actually happen? Um, But again, it's another scenario where it does actually happen. There have been examples here in the United States just in the last decade or so of textbook companies, like think of major companies like McGraw-Hill and Pearson, putting out materials that are specifically designed. um, And this is like really getting into a lot of educational stuff. So I'll try to keep it brief. Um, The state of Texas routinely orders something like 50 million textbooks every year. As a result of them purchasing so many textbooks, textbook companies have to gear what is represented in their books based on Texas's Board of Education and their requirements for what can be taught in their schools. So there were actually examples of textbooks, not in the distant past, where Moses is referenced as a founding father, (laughs) um, where slaves were referred to as workers, like (laughs) when they're talking about the African slave trade, they're literally referring to them as workers. Um, So what happens is if you have a big state like Texas that has so much influence over textbooks, then you have other parts of the country that are then subject to Texas's standards on education. So you have neighboring states like Louisiana and Oklahoma that might be purchasing those same textbooks and leading their students to a a historical understanding of our nation's background that really downplays the horrors of slavery. Right. Well, not to mention this information just spreads by word of mouth. You start talking with friends and family and and leads. It's a domino effect. And before you know it, everybody in 
in the southern half of America thinks Moses was one of the founding fathers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he didn't it's... part the Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I imagine there's someone out there who would like you to believe that, Micah. Um, but it just made me think, you know, what if Hogwarts, like if we were to just imagine, what if Hogwarts had such a pull on magical curriculum that when Umbridge had instated this, Umbridge and the ministry instated this, um, like, application-free version of Defense Against the Dark Arts, if other schools across Europe had been subject to the same curriculum, you would have had an entire generation of students who had no practical skills when it came to one of the most important subjects they could learn in school. Right. And what scares me more so, though, about somebody like Umbridge being placed at an institution like Hogwarts is that she's given free reign. Eventually, mm-hmm. she gets to the point where she's going back to her superiors. And and I don't even think that Fudge recognizes how evil she is. Like I don't know whose goals, ultimately, she's trying to achieve. They may just be her own and her own specific view on the world, because we've talked about her upbringing and and just how you know she she went about her early career, but I, I, to me that's just so dangerous because it's not just like you're instituting you know state mandated curriculum. She, she's just doing whatever she feels is in the best interest of herself, and ultimately how she wants the wizarding world to look five, ten, fifteen years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we see by the way she treated her own squib sibling right like she very much feels that anybody who is not of the purest blood is a second class citizen and her outlook and sort of like prescription for how she would you know operate an education educational institution reflects that and she physically harms the students yeah and that yeah would be major problems in this day. I like I almost liken it back to when there could be some kind of physical punishment in schools, whether, you know, I I always hear about whether it's, you know, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles that that went to Catholic school and, you know, they would get hit with the ruler or there there would be some yeah. sort of physical punishment for them acting out or for misbehaving. I think this, you could compare it, but to me, this is a lot worse than that. Great. Yeah. I mean, umbrage is scarring permanent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And kind of like shifting the focus towards the media. I know, Andrew, you had alluded to this a little bit earlier, but um, we have some really great points here about sort of how the daily prophet behaves with the ministry of magic. Yeah. it It's, really state-influenced media. The, the, the Daily Prophet becomes a mouthpiece for the ministry throughout Order of the Phoenix. And it, what's so ironic is that if you think back to Harry's treatment by the ministry in, let's say, Prisoner of Azkaban, it's vastly different in terms of how Fudge coddles him you know, shortly after he gets off the night bus at the Leaky Cauldron. So if we think about Prisoner of Azkaban versus Order of the Phoenix, it's like you're looking at two totally different 
characters in in Fudge and two totally different ministries. But in Order of the Phoenix, they're using the media to basically discredit everything that that Harry and Dumbledore stand for. Yeah. And it's so important for the media to be operating independently because they challenge the governments. Without that, the governments can get away with anything. Yeah. And then through that, you end up getting sort of like resistance media, like you have the Quibbler and Potter Watch that we see later on in the series. And that really reminds me of a lot of sort of like alternative news sources that we've seen come out as a result of the distrust in our own media, though I feel like it's kind of a flipped scenario in the Potter world. Because a lot of the alternative news sources that exist in the muggle world are bananas. No, I always think, I've always thought that Potter Watch was a small nod to the Harry Potter podcasts. I do too. (laughs) That's my (laughs) headcanon. Yeah. Just one other thing to add on on the profit though. It's not just that they're discrediting Harry and Dumbledore. They're minimizing Voldemort's potential return. Remember the the, the very small article about Broderick Bode um, you know, being killed you know, was previously an unspeakable within the Department of Mysteries. So they're essentially bearing the lead in a lot of ways. And they're doing mm-hmm. it so that you know, maybe you're not somebody that goes all the way into the paper and reads this very small article on poor Broderick, but you are somebody who looks at the the front page, the headlines, and you'll see all this nonsense being spewed about how Harry and Dumbledore are off their rockers. And that's intentional. Yeah. Well, it really speaks to the question of what kind of access was the ministry willing to restrict based on how favorable their coverage was. Like, based on everything else we've talked about, I think it would be totally reasonable to assume that Fudge was like, listen, if y'all want to be able to, like, come to briefings or, like, have any kind of pressers with us, you need to be reporting on us favorably. And if you don't, then no more access. And that, again, speaks to the profit being more concerned about its bottom line than it is about factual reporting. Exactly. And that, that I want to know who is Fudge specifically putting pressure on? Does he have some sort of connection at the Daily Prophet? You would assume so, right? Being in yeah. that office. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. That, yeah, that he knows <laughs> a few people. But I, I really liked what you said, Laura, in terms of limiting access or restricting being able to speak to certain people if you don't follow the guidelines that we're putting in place. And right now those guidelines are to discredit Dumbledore, discredit Harry, deny, deny, deny Voldemort's return. Sounds like a lot of what's going on right now in terms of denying certain truths about certain things that are happening in this country. But I'll leave it at that. Cool. Well, we can kind of tie a bow on this and take a step back and talk about what problems do we think the wizarding government needs to address? What are the things that we see as outsiders that we think like, oh my God, this is such a glaring like gap in the functionality of this society and this needs to be rectified. For me, the thing that comes out again and again is equal treatment under the law for all 
occupants of the wizarding world, but also just people, because this society, it's intermingling with a muggle society, right? So like, you can't very well say muggles don't have rights under wizarding law. <laughs> just doesn't make sense. Right, especially given that you have, you mentioned Andromeda earlier, she's married to a muggle. So he needs to have certain rights, just given that he has now been brought into the magical community through marriage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Given everything that happens over the course of the seven Harry Potter books, you would think that there would be some urgency to change how they treat the werewolves, the goblins, second class citizens, you know, mudbloods, halfbloods. Lead by example, the ministry should. I just sounded like Yoda. Um, they should be coming out and saying, we need to treat everybody equally and fairly. And here's what we're going to do to accomplish that. Yeah. Well, and you even have, you know, I think, I, and I hate to harp on about squibs, but I think it is such a travesty that they're treated the way they are. Like we see Filch having to resort to obtaining his education through educational catalog services because he presumably was not allowed to attend Hogwarts. I just think that's ridiculous. Like a society is only like a society is only going to move as quickly as its slowest member, right? So even if you were to take a step back and be like we want our society to be as functional as possible, then it's incumbent upon you <laughs> to make sure that there is like a base level of equity for everyone. Mhm. Mm yeah, I and agree. it's it seems like something that Dumbledore or McGonagall or any future headmaster could set up at Hogwarts pretty easily. Another wing dedicated to squibs and teaching them. Or just let them learn in their regular classrooms. I guess they shouldn't right. have a separate wing. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think there are a lot of blood status issues. Andrew, you just kind of went through the whole list of, of different you know, wizards, witches, magical beings within the wizarding world. And I do think this ties back to what we were talking about earlier when we were making the comparisons to Nazi Germany. There's There was this idea, and it seems to be very much still present within the wizarding world, of of treating others less than or you know, marginalizing people or killing people based upon their blood status and who they are, whether you're a half-blood, whether you're a mud-blood, whether you're a werewolf house elf doesn't seem to matter as long as you don't fit within that pure blood category you're you're not as relevant and i think the ministry could do a better job in terms of working towards some sort of unity right we we talked a lot about when we did chapter by chapter of order of the phoenix the fountain of magical brethren and how it was basically a mirage how it wasn't really reflective of how the wizarding world works and and you see that in in terms of how all of those pieces you assist Dumbledore and Harry in their fight against Voldemort in the atrium you know the the the, the house elf and the goblin kind of run off the centaur you know does its its job in terms of protecting them so it, it just goes to show you that there's this chance for unity um, and and I think you see it too, you know, in terms of mentioning centaurs. Like you see it in terms of how the centaurs feel; they've been marginalized when you get that dialogue um, 
really in, in Order of the Phoenix when when they're all talking with Harry and Hermione and Umbridge. So mm-hmm. I think there's a long way to go here for, for the ministry, but that's why we need a new minister. Yeah, yes, exactly. we do. Good thing we're hosting an election. Well, before we get to that, Andrew, I think you had some notes on the International Statute of Secrecy. Yeah. So this is kind of unrelated to what we've been talking about today. Um, but it's it's always bothered me. Why is the International Statute of Secrecy still a thing? Because A, the secret's already out. Muggles know about the Wizarding World. The the ministry works with the Muggle governments, as we see. Um, there are Muggles who know that wizards exist. You think about family members like the Dursleys or the Grangers. It's it's just not that big of a secret. And I would like to see wizards be able to live freely amongst the Muggles. Be out and proud. Doesn't it seem a little archaic for there to still be an international statute of secrecy? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as you said, there are so many examples of Muggles that know that it exists and how, like, if you're to say that Muggles don't have many or any rights under wizarding law, then why would they be subject to keeping that secret? (laughs) Right. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And yes, some Muggles would probably lose their mind at the thought of there being wizards amongst them. But that's what happens. People lose their minds over people (laughs) who aren't like them. And they'll get over it eventually. So another thing I think that should be changed is they should find a way to truly banish harmful types of magic, like time turners, veritaserum, love potions, which we've spoken about a lot over the years. Is it possible to find a way to completely get rid of them? Because I know there could be a black market, but can we even get past the black market? Can we even figure out a way to just completely banish them somehow? I don't know. There's always going to be a black market, but like, I, I really feel like love potions are the roofies of the wizarding world. Yeah. Um, and they should just be illegal. Like you shouldn't be able to walk into a shop and buy them. Right. That would be a good first step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree because, well, two of those things you can just make. And so how do you stop somebody from, making Veretta serum or making love potions you can maybe a trace put a ban, trace on those things ban the ingredients but who knows those ingredients could be used to make other things too i i, I do see a, just a black market developing especially with time turners look at cursed child supposedly they were all destroyed but then there's like 50 of them that pop up in that story so right it's hard but i <laughs> I, I i like the idea of at least taking some action to make maybe creating time turners or creating Veretta serum or, or love potions illegal. Mm-hmm. You got to start. Yeah. yeah. There should be consequences for doing that. Well, that will be part of my platform when I run for minister for magic in the future. <laughs> Another question I wanted to ask you guys is, are the political aspects of the stories? One of the reasons why we enjoy Harry Potter so much, because imagine the series without it. The books would be missing this major enemy. It would be a very different story. And thank gosh for the politics in the Wizarding World. I'm answering my own question. Because there's just so much to talk about there. And how it relates to what we experience in our everyday lives. Yeah, I mean, that's what really allows us to be able to see ourselves in the pages of these novels. And there have been so many studies done that have found that you know, children who grew up reading Harry Potter tend to be more empathetic Darn right. and, and more accepting of other people. 
there's been a lot of, um, you know, social activism that's come out of the Harry Potter fandom. Like we have the Harry Potter Alliance. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm also just thinking that this is a big aspect that's missed when people say Harry Potter's for kids. They think, oh, magic, a school of magic. Like, how can there be depth there? And one reason there is so much depth is because of the politics in in these stories. Yeah, I would say listen to our podcast. Like, this type of a conversation maybe isn't had amongst you know, 13, 14, 15 year olds, it certainly could be because I think there are things that they, you know, to the point of, you know, Laura, you're saying that those that grow up reading Harry Potter are more socially aware, are more accepting. They see things maybe they otherwise wouldn't. And and I do think it's because a lot of the things that we just talked about in this episode, the, the, the real world comparisons and they see it, they understand it. And that's why we have things that were created like the Harry Potter Alliance, all the things that they advocate for, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of good that's come of this series. And I think a lot of times people forget that because of other news that may be out there uh, about the author or mm-hmm. you, there's the high level criticism that Andrew mentioned. Oh, this is for kids. No, it's not really for kids. There are a lot of lessons to and and kids should learn those lessons. I'm not saying kids don't learn the lessons. I'm just saying there's a lot that can be taken from this series, no matter what age you are. Yeah, the series makes those conversations accessible for everyone. Yeah. Um, but it you know it also doesn't infantilize children. Like it meets them where they are, and uh, you know I would argue really respects the fact that you know you don't need to talk to children like they're dumb. Hmm. You know, they do have the capacity to be able to understand these conversations. And Mm -hmm. I think that shows all the time when we hear from kids who are like 9, 10, 11 years old who are consuming the podcast. Yeah. You kids are smart. Way smarter than we were and and are for that matter. But uh, (laughs) in many cases, yeah. Just to add on to that, I also think this series does a great job in terms of allowing if you're a kid, let's say you're eight, nine, 10 years old, when you start the series, you can grow with it, right? You mm-hmm. can, especially if this, if you were a part of it when it was being released, you could literally grow with the series and, and the things that were coming up, you could relate more as, as you matured and got older. So I think there's that aspect of it, which I'm not sure that a lot of other series have. Right. No, no. And I, yeah. I think something special too um, and then we can wrap this up and move on to the campaign results, but is also that we have a fandom that has allowed itself to grow beyond the books. Like, obviously, conversations around some of the author's problematic views have been front and center in recent history, but our fandom, despite the fact that we love these books and, you know, we hold them near and dear and there are many great lessons and, you know, great things that came out of our um, sort of interaction with these texts. We rejected that. Yeah. Like we were able to take what we were taught, what we grew up learning and the empathy that we gained as a result of being in this fandom and saying, no, yeah, we don't agree with that. Everyone is welcome here. I And, and I have no problem saying that I don't think I would be as open-minded 
as I am today if it wasn't for this fandom. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a I think that's an accurate statement for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. Like growing up in the suburbs, I was only surrounded by boring white people. And <laughs> going to Harry Potter conventions, uh, you know, I'm introduced to LGBTQ people. I'm introduced to people of color. You know, it, it was like moving to a city in a way. Yeah. <laughs> you find, you, you're introduced to this diverse group of people. And it was just a wonderful introduction to the, mm-hmm. the real world. Yeah, and our lives only got better as a result. Absolutely. Well, meeting you two, I wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know if it improves <laughs> my life, but present company excluded. Yeah. Says. <laughs> but I, I just to, one thing I'll add there though is that 15 years later we're still doing this, so that in and of itself speaks to what you just said. So I do like you guys. Yeah, I think a little bit yeah. more than you care to admit. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the election results as voted on by you on our social media, you also may have seen on our social media channels that Me Undies has rolled out Harry Potter underwear. They are all so awesome looking. They have a new design for each Hogwarts house plus a Hogwarts design. We're talking Harry Potter undies, hoodies, robes, joggers, rompers, onesies, and more. They did such a great job with these. I actually, not to brag, received all four Hogwarts house undies, and I'm wearing my Slytherin ones right now. I'm thinking I should wear each house on a different day of the week. Like, Slytherin undies are totally a Friday thing. Hufflepuff (laughs) undies for Sundays, Mondays. Me Undies believes that comfort is about more than what's touching your skin. It's about feeling comfortable in your skin. You are a total badass, and what you wear should only accentuate that fact. Me Undies truly believes in empowering self expression. Their pledge for 2020 and beyond is called Me Undies Gives. This is an initiative that supports those who have systemic barriers to their self expression. By shopping Me Undies, you support causes such as LGBTQ plus communities, mental health and well-being, and women's rights. And as we've been telling you, all their clothing is so darn comfortable. Cloud-like comfort matched with awesome print designs makes this one of the most delightful companies I've ever encountered. Me Undies has a great offer for our listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. This is the time to try MeUndies now that they've got these Harry Potter prints, which, by the way, are only available for a limited time. MeUndies also has their problem-free philosophy. If you are not satisfied with any product for any reason, no problem. They will refund or exchange it. No caveats, no questions. To get your 15% off your first order and free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. That's MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. And by the way, they know y'all are Harry Potter fans. They updated that URL. So when you go to MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast, it'll take you right to the Harry Potter page. It's perfect, Potter. <laughs> MeUndies.com slash MuggleCast. And be sure to use that URL to get your discount and support the show. I, I think you should cook your Hello Fresh in your Hufflepuff MeUndies and post Perfect. it on social. Yeah, they need to do aprons too. Maybe they'll do oh, that next. That's a good idea. <laughs> and by the way, uh, the Gryffindor, Slytherin, and Ravenclaw undies actually kind of sparkle. They've got some like gold on them. I don't think they did Ooh. them for the Hufflepuff ones because they're Aww. already yellow. Just be careful. Make sure no nifflers are around. <laughs> Uh, they're gonna pants me. <laughs> oh, do a little more than that. <laughs> so we decided to put together the You Decide 2020 campaign um, to elect a new Minister of Magic. We really wanted this to mirror 
our own election happening here in the United States um, to give people a little bit of an outlet to think of something different, but also to encourage everyone in the United States or if you're a U.S. citizen to vote. So we really wanted this to coincide with the U.S. election. And we selected the candidates. We have Aberforth Dumbledore, Hermione Granger, Kingsley Shacklebolt, and Dolores Umbridge. Now we can introduce you to the candidates now, and then we can reveal the results. I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay, so let's start with Hermione Granger. She says, I will create equal legal protections for all under wizarding law, expand funding for Hogwarts education to all members of British Magical Society, and develop a special office dedicated to muggle relations and increased cooperations with muggle government. We wrote these, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah, I like it. Not, not a bad platform. Um, and Hermione is part of the British Equality Alliance. We came up with parties for them as well. <laughs> and of course, she's up for re-election because we know, yes. thanks to the Cursed Child, she is the Minister for Magic. Yes, she is the incumbent candidate. Uh, shall I do Umbridge? Please. Do you want me to try and do it in my best Eric impersonation? <laughs> sure. Umbridge? Do you want stricter regulations on undesirables with past offenses against the ministry? How about a nationwide registration of all magical humans once they become of age? Vote for Dolores Umbridge of the Wizarding Liberty Party. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. (laughs) Well done, Laura. Well done. You just made that your own. You did. People were really shook, by the way. That we made Umbridge a candidate. I know why. <laughs> well, and then some people voted for Umbridge. Hopefully they're just I know. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, I hope you're just trolling. Yeah, yeah we got some I trolls. I bet it was the same people who criticized. They're like, can't believe you put up Umbridge for this. And then click, I vote for her. <laughs> All right. A true candidate. Aberforth Dumbledore. <laughs> a vote for a Aberforth is a goat for every household. <laughs> when elected... He will prevent the government from interfering with personal magical experimentation. So, Mega, make England goats again. Oh, my. (laughs) We should have got him a hat, too, like a little goat hat that said Mega. (laughs) A green one. Oh, no. Yeah, green one, yeah. And finally, Kingsley Shacklebolt. Vote for Kingsley Shacklebolt of the Global Wizarding Alliance. His top priority, if elected, will be to nurture international magical cooperation. And you've got to admit, he's got style. That's his tagline. So true. He's got style. (laughs) He does have style. (laughs) I would put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah, totally. So we had some very interesting results across our social platforms. Um, So to reveal the results from our Twitter in fourth place was Dolores Umbridge with 3.2% of the vote. Ah, damn. Um, what <laughs> what, what were you thinking? Um, in third place was Aberforth Dumbledore with 5.7% of the vote. Oh, man. In second place, Kingsley Shacklebolt with 35, 38.5% of the vote. And in first place, Hermione Granger with 52.7% of the vote. Woo! But it doesn't end there, guys. <gasps> doesn't end there this is just one of many results that we received what so when we're go ahead no i'm just in shock oh okay (laughs) so when we look at our facebook 
the results actually tightened up a little bit. Um, We have in fourth place, Umbridge. In third place, Dumbledore. In second place, Granger. (gasps) And in first place, Shacklebolt. This margin was very narrow. (laughs) Uh, It was 37 to 42 between Hermione and Kingsley. And then for the blowout, we look at our Instagram. In fourth place, we have Umbridge. In third place, we have Dumbledore. In second place, we have Granger. And then overwhelmingly first place, we have Shacklebolt. That is two out of the three polls that we led across our social media in which Kingsley Shacklebolt won the election wow. for Minister of Magic. That's honestly a surprise. Maybe was it the tagline? It's a cursed child did Hermione in. <laughs> <laughs> cursed child did Hermione dirty. <laughs> I demand a recount. Why is there a difference in results? But for Kingsley, though, this this would be a, a second go around, wouldn't it? He was minister. Yeah, because after. he was minister for a yeah, while. Good call. Good for, yeah, people, good for Kingsley. Yeah. Back in the saddle. People missed him. They want him back. I think it's also, you know, Kingsley, we positioned him as a global candidate. I mean, he's from the Global Wizarding Alliance. He wants to encourage international magical cooperation and we live in a global world yeah and i think the voters saw that yeah i would congratulations that that kingsley will um you know at least consider uh putting aberforth on his uh his cabinet or or whatever the comparable (laughs) term is for that in the in the wizarding world department of animals protect the animals yeah agriculture Agriculture. there you go Aberforth would be way better there. Agriculture. 100%. Oh, man. Hill Harvest. A winning plan for agriculture. (laughs) Okay, that was fun. Thank you to everybody who participated. And if you want to participate in more polls like that, be sure to follow us across our social media channels. We're MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to participate in the most important vote of all by getting in line on Tuesday, November 3rd. Yeah, and speaking of social, if you are listening to this while waiting in line, please take a pic and tweet us or tag us on Instagram. We would love to see you waiting in line and listening to MuggleCast at the same time. And don't forget to vote for Aberforth for Agriculture. <laughs> but yes. don't don't write him in. Okay. Oh, okay. On your... Yeah, please don't. Well, <laughs> yeah. I know Micah actually did that. He just kind of decide... <laughs> Between the candidates. Anyway, it's time for Quizage. So last week's Quizage question, standing in for Eric here. What is Harry wearing during his first dream that is in Gryffindor Tower? And the correct answer was Quirrell's turban. It's a weird dream to have for sure. Mm. Correct answers were submitted by Potter Chat Podcast tide apparently <laughs> there's a tide ad that just popped up so we'll give them credit for it bort voldemort jeff skellington jason king chelsea bromley and sarah aka weensy that rounds out the folks who sent us the correct answer uh for this week's quizage question okay next week's question given all of our discussion about potter politics which minister founded the Department of Magical Law Enforcement? You okay. can send us your answer on Twitter. Just use hashtag 
Quizage when replying to MuggleCast. And don't forget, we hosted a live Quizage, spooky Halloween edition, you can check out now on our YouTube channel. Always a lot of fun, and we hope to do another Quizage, actually, in the weeks ahead. So stay tuned for more information about that. It's time now for a chicken soup, and this is probably one of the best chicken soups we've ever received. It's really sweet. This is from Jillian. Hey, MuggleCast, I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you all for being such a great podcast and for all of you having relaxing voices. That may sound weird, but this week I had to say goodbye to my cat Emmett. And during all these years, when we went on car rides while moving many times or visiting my family, he would only calm down and relax to your podcast. I tried others just to see, but only with MuggleCast did he stop meowing and being so restless. He even would make little chirping noises as you all talked, as if agreeing every now and then. So on behalf of my M and my sanity while driving all those long hours, thanks for being the one he loved the most. Thank you, Jillian. That is so, so sweet. I I credit Micah's voice. It was probably his voice that calmed Emmett down. Yeah, I saw this email come in from Jillian, and I just really wanted to share it. We're obviously very sorry uh, that you had to say goodbye to Emmett. Yeah, losing a pet is one of the hardest things. So we will uh, shout out to Emmett today. Thank you for listening to MuggleCast, Emmett. And thank you, Jillian. Thank you for sharing this with us. We're all thinking of you. Yeah, definitely. So if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email us, MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com or record a voice memo using the app on your phone and email that to MuggleCast at gmail.com. Just keep your voice memo about a minute long, please. No longer than that would be appreciated. Or call us, 19203-MUGGLE. We are 19203684453. We'd also appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts if they have a review system. We like getting fresh reviews in there from time to time. So thank you for doing that. And we would also appreciate your support on our Patreon. It is the reason why we are a weekly podcast. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And you get so many benefits. Oh my gosh. Check them out at Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You get access to our live streams. You get a new physical gift every year. You get access to our planning docs. You get behind-the-scenes looks at the show. You, uh, If you pledge at the Slug Club level, you can hang out with us on video once a month, which is always a lot of fun. We usually talk about Harry Potter and anything else pop culture-related that's going on in our lives. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can support us. And thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.